Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Christopher, thank you, choir, and good morning, Seneca Baptist Church. <clears throat> good, you answered back. I like that. I say that every once in a while, and people just kind of look at me, but it's good to be with you. I promise you that. Thank you for Ryan's introduction. Thank you that he's getting away for a couple of days. I will be with you next Sunday. So uh, this Sunday will be the proof in the pudding. Next Sunday will be whether you like it or not, so you'll be back, okay? Father's Day, good chance for you to come back and be here and be a part of that. Let me just introduce myself a little bit further. Anyway, I am with the North American Mission Board as an ambassador to South Carolina. It's a part-time deal. We get to go around and say thank you, and I do. Thank you so much, Seneca Baptist Church, on behalf of Kevin Ezell and the NAM family for your giving to the cooperative program and Annie Armstrong and to Lottie Moon. We appreciate so much your mission giving. I also am helping. Uh, I'm with First Baptist Church Simpsonville now. We just finished the interim at New Hope Baptist Church in Malden, which now is going to become Upstate Church Malden, part, be affiliated, kind of merging with, of course, First Baptist Simpsonville. I'm there kind of helping the transition doing that and doing a few other things with them also. And by the way, prior to this, I was interim at Monaghan Baptist Church, and I believe a young man by the name of Ryan Holtzclaw grew up here. Is that correct? Do we have a little family members out here somewhere? Okay, well, anyway, you can report back to Ryan that I survived. Anyway, that's good. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 John chapter 5. going to really preach a familiar passage to you today. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. You'll want to keep your Bible open and refer to different portions of that particular book that will be there. But what I'm going to do today, we're going to put your life to the test. What? did you think about when the professor came in and say, okay, take out a pencil and paper, got a pop quiz. Kind of gave your heart a little race, didn't it? Something about a test that's there, but something about a test that's a very, very important. But what we're going to do today, we're going to put your profession, my profession, under the microscope of God's Word. Is it real? And this is not a doubt your salvation message at all. This is a confirmation of that. I want to take a chance for all of us to look. It's very easy to be deceived. I was deceived as a lost church member. I was for three years. I joined, I grew up Methodist in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I'm going to have all my folks, when I get the glory up there, I'm going to tell them, I say, Baptists make it too, folks. So we got here. 
but I grew up Methodist, and I thought I was very active in my church uh, at the age of 12. I kind of joined the church there in Atlanta, got really involved. I really joined the church as a kind of a well-being to my grandmother. Uh, grandmother always wanted me to join the church, kept after me every time. So as I went to South Georgia, I did, I joined, came back, got to work, did everything I could, realized at 15, I never had experienced a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So it was at that moment that God began to change my life. And a man who came from First Baptist, or excuse me, First Methodist, Orlando, Florida, in kind of a youth-led revival crusade that was there, he made a question the very first morning. He said, listen, he said, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? He said, I'm going to spend the rest of the week answering that. Well, that pricked my heart because reality was this. I knew about him. I mean, I believed the book. I read the Bible. I prayed. I did all those things. I was active in church. I was there about every time you were there. I even gave a little money. So I was there and I did it, but I realized that I did not have that personal relationship. Fifteen years of age, as a lost church member, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Now, has everything been perfect since that day? No. I've had my ups and downs, no question. But I realize that now as I look back over this passage of Scripture, even as I study this week, how that God spoke to my heart and made me in that reality. So that's going to be the case today. Bibles, I hope, often open to 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. I'm going to only be reading a couple of verses, 1 John chapter 5, and I will begin reading in verse 10. Now he says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Why? Well, because he has not believed in the testimony of God had borne concerning his Son. Then, in verse 11, he kind of gives you, here's the testimony. That God gave, his, gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. His Son is Jesus. Now, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Write these things down to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Father, we're asking today, Lord, for you to do your speaking. Father, I know that uh, the message is here. I know that, Lord, uh, you use the human instrument. But, Father, I thank you that you speak to the heart. And, Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name, mightily magnify your truth. And may your word go forth today in absolute honor and, and authority. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Ron Dunn said something a long time ago that really kind of resonated with me. He said, you know, a doubting Christian is someone who is a defeated Christian. Now think about that. A doubted Christian is a defeated Christian. Now, when you say about that, if you doubt, where are you defeated? Well, you're defeated in your witness. You're defeated when you talk about the Word of God, when you talk about life, when you talk about the Christian faith. Everything we do, everything we say, doubt destroys everything that is so characteristic of the Christian life. Someone said one time, said, if the devil can't get you to drink, he'll cause you to doubt. Now, when you think about that, doubt is really a major concern of us. And believe me, many people have reasons to doubt. We doubt. Now, you doubt, you doubt because maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ. You doubt because there may be some persistent sin in your life that's there. You doubt because maybe there's something you don't know about God's Word concerning 
salvation. What does it really mean? What does it really believe? What do I know about this message of salvation? Look again, if you will, at verse 13. We'll show you something here. Now, he says in verse 13, he said, Write these things down to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's in the name of Jesus. Why? That you may know. That know is a critical word. That you may know with certainty that you have what? You have eternal life. Now, here's the question. What is eternal life? What are we talking about when we use eternal life? Well, eternal is an adjective. It describes noun, which is life. But the only thing I know, and you know that's eternal, is God himself. God's eternal. And as God is eternal, we know that he is the one who can come and give us this kind of life. And that's when we talk about the miracle of salvation. Over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it talks about that we become partakers of the divine nature. Now, how do I become a partaker of the divine nature? I become, when I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, when I give him my life. And now everybody wants to live forever. That's what a lot of times we say eternal life means to live forever. Well, partly true. But the reality is eternal life really is life that is God's type life, God's type living. And when that word eternal describes life, we're talking about God's kind of life. And God's kind of life, life comes to you and to me. And that's the only thing I know that's eternal is God himself. But when you think about this matter of eternal life, think about that, that we're talking about the miracle of the divine nature. And, you know, not everybody wants to live forever. We find that because of the rising statistics of suicide across our country. Happens in many places. And when you think about that over and over again, when we talk about eternal life, it is not the quantity of life that we're talking about. It's not the quantity of years. It's the quantity of life, the quality of life. Not adding years to your life, but adding life to your years. And that is so very important because not everybody lives to be a ripe old age. I mean, all kind of things. Why does that happen? Well, God uses people. God uses certain situations. He uses those things. But think about that. That person may make their life count great, great things for God even though it may be brief, but yet it's the quality of life. Here's the question. How do you know, how do we know that we have eternal life? How do we have, know that we have God's like life? How do we know these things? What are they? Well, it's the result that because if we have God's life, it results in God-like living. So we think about that, God's love, and that speaks of brotherhood. God is certainly... Uh, in the behavior, he's righteous. We know the behavior. He cannot deny himself. That's eternal. That is faith. So we're going to take a look today at three characteristics that I believe here. We're going to pick it from the Word of God. And we're going to, what we're going to do, as I said earlier, is we're going to put our profession under the microscope of God's Word and to see, do I profess or do I possess what I profess? Is it real? Or is it just words I say or words I mouth out because, hey, I'm a part of that. I learned something a long time ago, way back in the country. Big city of Myrtlewood, Alabama. Y'all know where Myrtlewood, Alabama is? Probably not. Well, Myrtlewood, Alabama is just north of Mobile, about 130 miles. You go up to Linden, Alabama, you turn left, and you run into the great big metropolis of Myrtlewood, Alabama. And in Myrtlewood, but I found out something. I would visit as I kind of got up there. It was a weekend pastor. And as I, I visited up there, and I kind of went around the town, I, I, all kind of people, oh, yeah, we're, 
we remember there, um, yeah, we, we, we accept, we made a profession of faith. We, we prayed that prayer one time. Oh, we haven't been in church in 20 years, but we made that prayer. We prayed it. Now, something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with that situation. I said, well, do you really possess what you profess? I don't think they do. And it's not being judgmental. It's just the honor of being there. Remember the rich young ruler? Jesus brought, he came to Jesus, and he said, what must I do to have eternal life? And what did Jesus tell him? He said, well, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Well, now, when you think about the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler would have been somebody we would have certainly loved to have. He'd been a great prospect for our churches. The Bible said he had certainly money. He had wealth. We know that. He had, he had manners because he came kneeling. He knelt before the Lord that would be there. He also had morals because it was a common trait to him. His community kept the commandments. So he had all those things. He was a great prospect. But the tragedy of, and it wasn't the fact that Jesus was anti-money, that was not it, because when you look at him, over and over again, as Jesus addressed people, and he addressed the situation about any kind of relationship with him, he always did it differently. Here was not a matter that he was anti-money by any mean, but he said, listen, sell what you have, give it to the poor. Now, why in the world would the Lord Jesus make a statement like that? Why would he say that? Well, he said that because he knew one thing about this young man. That young man loved that money that he had. He loved his wealth, and that wealth would have been a stumbling block to him. And that's what he was saying. And the rich young ruler, did he sell all that he had and gave it to the poor? Well, we don't know, really, but all we know is that he walked away sad, dejected, because he never did accept Jesus Christ, as we know, as his personal Lord and Savior. And when you think about that, why did he do that? Well, now, you know... You go to the doctor. In fact, I'm amazed. I've, I've reached that age in my life where there used to be, I never kept up with a doctor. Per se, I had a doctor I went to, but now I have folders. Y'all have folders in your house? We have specialists. So we go to one doctor after another. You know, as you get older, and by the way, as you get older, you better be tough. Getting old ain't for sissies, right? I know that's not good English, but that's good theology. It ain't for sissies. Well, you know, when you think about it, here's the doctor. You say, okay, doctor, I'm having this problem. Well, he does. He looks at you, and he prescribes medicine. Now, does he prescribe that medicine for the same for every patient that comes to him? No, because you see, every patient has a different problem, and the medicine needs to what? Take care of the problem. So he diagnoses the situation. He diagnoses the problem, and he prescribes medication for the problem to take care of. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said, I know your problem. And he said, I know the situation like this. Your money is your God. And he said, because of that, you need to get rid of it. And you need to get rid of it, sell all the God, give it to the poor, because it's going to be a stumbling block to you. It already was a stumbling block because it kept him from really trusting Jesus Christ. He walked away sad, thinking, I've got to give all my wealth up. He said, that's a pretty hard thing to say. Well, Jesus knows our heart better than anybody knows our heart. He knows my life better than anybody knows our life. He knows exactly what you and I are going to go through in our lives that will be there. Well, let's take the next few minutes and let's take a look at this matter of putting our life to the test. What does he mean by eternal life? How do we know these things? How do I really know that I possess what I profess? Well, go to 1 John chapter 2, just over a couple of pages to you, and I want you to come and I want you to find 1 John chapter 2 and find, if you will, verse 3. And I just want to read a couple of scriptures to you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. 
down through verse 6. Now, we're going to take the first test is the test of behavior. Remember what I said? God-like living produces God-like life. God-like life produces God's-like living. So in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, look what he says. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's not hard to understand, right? Then he says, but whoever keeps, now you might want to circle that word keeps. We're going to come back to him. It's very important. But whoever keeps his word to him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know him that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now what he's saying in verse 4 is simply this. He said, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it ought to affect the way you live. Now I'm not talking about righteous indignation. I'm not talking about being holier than thou. I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm talking about a life. There ought to be a walk. Something ought to match. Our talk and our walk ought to line up together. There ought to be something in me that you see in me that lets you know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, there was a heresy at the time when John was writing, and it's probably very similar to what we have today. The heresy was this, basically. It was a simple matter is that, hey, belief was everything. Whatever you believed was fine. How you live, no big deal. Conduct, no, not important. Just as long as you believe. You believe, that was it. Live like you want to live, no problem, but you believe. A lot of people like that today. Well, I believe, yeah, but does your life match up? You see, if you know Jesus Christ and that knowledge of God is divorced from holy living, what? You're a liar, that's what he says. You've just not told the truth. You're not walking in the light of which he gives you. And I'm not talking about being perfect. None of us are perfect. We're all messed up. We all have. Listen, by the grace of God, I am where I am. There's no question about that. But this is what he says. We know about him. Knowing Jesus Christ is a personal experience that completely transforms the way we live. Knowing Jesus Christ personally completely transforms the way we live. Am I talking about sinless perfection? Not at all. But there's something about us. There's something different, something new, something changing. Old things, the Bible says, pass away. All things become new. We've been transformed by the grace of God. So therefore, we know him personally as Lord and Master. W.T. Connor, long since in heaven, he was a professor of New Testament at Southwestern Seminary. Wrote a little book on 1 John. Very small little book, but a great little book as he dealt with it. He made a statement in that book that says simply this. He said, John argues like a woman. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, men, and I'm not saying we're logically, we don't argue always logically, but we use logic. Women say what? Hey, hear the way it is. Take it or leave it. That's it. And you know what drives me crazy? 99% of the time, you're always right. You're right. So husband, what am I saying? Listen to your wife. Now, I do a good job of listening to my wife. No, I don't. And the aggravating thing about it is she's right more than she's wrong. And I'm not very smart because sometimes I just don't listen. Well, that's what he said here. He said, listen, they argue like a woman 99% of the time. Listen, and by the way, I'm reminded, as an old evangelist, this is back uh, when the day when he, he came to town and he did this. Interesting, he came and he first thing he did was he had a crusade. He appointed a shouting committee. Now, you know it was an old time. 
you know it was a long time ago. You know Baptists used to shout? Yeah. You know what? My little grandmother in a Methodist church in South Georgia. By the way, Wiggum, South, Wiggum, Georgia. You know where Wiggum is? No. It's on Highway 84, Cairo, Bainbridge. You already right there. That's it. But that little Methodist church, boy, they were alive. Now, my granddaddy, stoic. Whew. But my grandmama, boy, she'd get at it. And i tell you one thing. She knew how to pray. She didn't know anything else. Grandmother knew how to pray. But there was something about it. This evangelist had a shouting committee. And what he did was he got a group of folks together, and while the meeting was going on, somebody jump up and shout, hallelujah, glory to God, whatever. He'd say, okay. Now, they'd go to that person, and then he'd talk to that person. You know why they do it? They're not trying to put them down. They're not trying to say, hey, please be quiet. You know, every once in a while, you know, somebody say amen in a church, scare them half to death. But not them. But he said, listen, I want to make sure of one thing. I'm not quenching the spirit. I want to be able to shout as much as they want to shout. But when they leave this building, is their life in the community, does it match their shout? Do they have a testimony that's real? And that's what he wanted to find out. And that's what he did. And that's when you look. Look at, look at verse 6 again. This is in 1 John 2. He says, listen, whoever says he abides in him ought to do what? He ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, I can't walk in perfection like Jesus. John's not saying that. He said, listen, there ought to be something about that walk. There ought to be a difference that will be there. There ought to be a match that would be there. Philip said, you know, Lord, old father, he showed me, Jesus said, show us the Father, and that will be sufficient. Philip said to him, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. As the Father has sent me, I so I send you. A Christian ought to be able to say today, today, he that has seen me has what? Has seen Jesus. Now, I'm not going to tell you walk out of here and say, look, no. What I'm saying is realize this. Our lives ought to be different enough that somebody sees in me something different in my life that lets them know that Jesus Christ is real to my heart. Not just coming to church, not just taking up residency on a pew, but being real in my life with him. A Christian ought to be able to say today, today, he that has seen me has seen Jesus. Not in perfection, but to know there's something different about me. Now, verse 5, I want you to look. Here's a key word. I told you to circle it. He who keeps his word in him truly, the love of God, is perfected. Now, he says that word keeps is critical. Now, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. Please understand that. But that term, keeps, is a nautical term. And it was a term that came about in that day. They would have understood it because as you sailed by that day, you didn't have compasses, you didn't have all the GPS, those things. You navigated by the stars. And that's what he says. As you navigate, as you sail, keep a vigilant watch on the direction. What he's saying here is you keep a vigilant watch on God's word. Whatever you do, keep that watch on God's word. Let's just say, for example, service ends today, whatever time. And by the way, I'll let you out by 2 o'clock. You can rest assured of that. Uh, when the service is over, don't look at your watch. <laughs> I've still got a minute or two left to go here. But anyway, when the service is over, I say, okay, you get in the car with your wife and the kids, and you say, okay, we're on our way to Seattle, Washington. Now, I don't know about you. I've never been from Seneca, South Carolina to Seattle, Washington. If I did, I wouldn't drive anyway, but I haven't done that. Now, what do you do? 
Well, back in the old days, you had a map. Remember those things when you have a navigator and you look at that? No, what you do now, you set your GPS on whatever. But while you've got that GPS, you're coming, what are you doing? You're going to keep a vigilant watch because that thing's going to say, you go so many miles this way and you turn on such and such. You're keeping a watch because you don't want to go past it. And I'll be honest with you, I found, I don't know about you, sometimes my GPS is not truthful. Have you ever noticed that? And sometimes I miss the turn because it doesn't tell me about the turn until I've passed it. But you set it because you've got to know where you're going. You keep a vigilant watch. You keep an eye on that that you navigate so you don't go where it goes or you don't go in the wrong way. Tragically, I know some Baptists, and I don't mean to pick on Baptists, but I are one, so I guess I can. But I know some Baptists that really don't mind being backslidden as long, listen to me, as long as they go to heaven when they die. Just don't mind. I mean, you know, it's no big deal. I mean, belief is everything. You know why? Listen, not don't. Don't have to do anything like that. If you can be just as happy, listen to me, if you can be just as happy living outside the will of God as in the will of God, listen, you ought to doubt your salvation. You say, no, I'm telling you, you ought to doubt it. Something's wrong there because it doesn't match up with God's word. You see, the one who is truly a follower of Jesus Christ will do it. He'll keep his eyes on God's word. He'll keep his eyes on God's commandments because he wants to know where he's going. How in the world do I know to navigate this world without this book? I can't do it. It's not just fodder for sermons. This is reality, folks. This is what God gave us. He said, listen, I gave you my GPS. Here it is. This GPS is 66 books of it. It's a GPS, the bad, the good, the indifferent, the ugly, all that thing, but it all comes back to one thing. You need to follow me. Listen, the difference between a Christian, listen to me, the difference between a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and a person who is lost without Jesus Christ is not, listen to me, is not the absence of sin. It's our attitude towards sin. Did you hear me? That's the difference. It's not a matter of lack of sin because let me tell you what, we all have sinned. That's what the Bible says. We all have sinned and come short of God's glory. But it says, listen, the abs, not the absence of sin, it's my attitude towards sin. Oh, Bud Robinson. Bud Robinson was an old evangelist. He was a Nazarene evangelist, wasn't Baptist. But he had a statement. He said, listen, God didn't save me so that I wouldn't sin. He saved me so that I wouldn't enjoy it when I did. And that's a great story. When sin comes in my life, am I convicted? Does God convict my heart? Am I quick to repent? These things are there. How do I know that I'm saved? Because he saved me that I wouldn't sin. No, he saved me that I wouldn't enjoy it when I did. That's a great difference. This is an evangelist, a preacher. You see, if you and I can live willfully, knowingly, deliberately outside the will of God, we ought to doubt our salvation. No question about it. Well, Point one, I'm going to hurry through the other two, okay? I promise you. I'll get you home before supper time, no question. What is the second test? Well, you got the test of behavior. What's my conduct like? What about the test of brotherhood? The Bible says God is love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 and verse 15. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you. He says here, we know that we have passed what? out of death into life. How do we know that? Well, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not have, abides in death, does not love. 
Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murder, that means as no continuous lifestyle, has eternal life abiding in him. Over in 1 John chapter 4, two verses, verse 19 and 20, look at them. Again, we have or we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God who has not seen. We haven't seen him. And over in 1 John, just come on down to verse 1 there, chapter 5, it said, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been <clears throat> born of him. So we love each other. And when we become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? You have a new spiritual family. you got a whole new family. It's a new whole situation like that. And the proof is how you choose your companions. You know, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at folks who just profess to have gotten saved, prayed a prayer, did that, went through the motion, and yet don't come to church. Now, I understand, I understand all those things. I'm going to tell you something. If you love the Lord, you ought to love his people, and you ought to want to be together. Something's wrong with someone who's a member of a certain family and does not come to be with that family. You know people like that. I just don't want to be with them, you know. I don't want to go to the family reunion. I want to be part of the family. Listen. Oh, I love, no. If you love your family, you want to be with them. You see, the word hate in verse 15, First <clears throat> John 3, that word hate means to cherish ill will toward someone else. It's the type of attitude that refers, I refuse to see anything good in a person regardless of who they are. Nothing. Nothing. Not be able to find anything good about them whatsoever. And you know, when you, when you think about it, uh, I remember when I made my first... Now, now let, me, let me back up. I remember, now, I used to go to the country. I remember in my Methodist days, it was pretty neat. We always had conference. Now, you'd go to a church somewhere, but you know what I liked about it? You had dinner on the grounds. Remember those old slab concrete picnic tables outside? Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit. That's okay. Some of you don't. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. You can, you can smile, laugh. It's okay. But I remember those things. Man, I remember fried chicken. And I remember, you're getting hungry, aren't you? <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to get you ready. Don't you, you, you love those church eggs. Remember church eggs? They call them deviled. I don't know why they call them deviled eggs. I mean, they were church eggs. And they were good. Now, why did I say all that? Well, I remember when I was I wound up, at, at a, at, this was later in life, I wound up at my first Baptist church business meeting. Can I have a witness? Been there? Yeah. In fact, I remind a story. Two, two old hound dogs were up under a church on, down in the country, a wooden church. They were up under the church down there. And boy, they were going at Wednesday night. was going. They were going at each other left and right. One old hound dog looked at the other. He said, if we acted like that, they'd worm us. Might be a good thing to do that. I don't know. Well, anyway, it was that way. And I think these profess to love one another. Listen. You know, the reality is, guess what? If you are a child of God, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're born again by His Spirit, washed in the blood of the Lamb, heaven's your destination, guess what? We're going to spend eternity together. Now, 
I'm not saying everybody's easy to like. Listen, I've pastored enough Baptist churches. No, that's not always the case. But that doesn't give me license to live like I want to live. doesn't give me license to write that person off. God says, listen, they're my child. I wonder sometimes, but still they are. That's the case right there. But you know the truth of it is? It's amazing thing about the Bible. There's not a single verse that I can find in the Word of God that tells me how to love lost people. No, it really doesn't. But it's interesting that over in John 21, remember when Jesus was talking, Peter said, he said, Peter, he said, do you love me? Oh, Lord, I love you. Then do what? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Second time, he said, Lord, I love you. Then tend my sheep. <coughs> and finally he said, Peter, <coughs> do you love me? Lord, as best I can, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. You know what? Peter did not say, love sheep. Did he? What did he say? If you love me. If you love me. Now, he didn't say a thing about sheep. By the way, sheep are not the easiest thing to love. They're stubborn, hard-headed. They don't smell too good. I mean, they're just what they are. And no wonder God calls us sheep. We'll wander off grazing, don't pay attention where we get in all kind of trouble. That's exactly where we are sometimes. He said, listen, if you love me, you see, if you love me, you're going to want to be with me. If you love me, you're going to love the people who are my people. Now, Sandy's here. She can repudiate this. That's my wife. By the way, last Wednesday, we celebrated our 59th wedding anniversary. So, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. She deserves a medal. Not a purple heart, but she deserves a medal. But we celebrate. But, you know, I think about this now. We don't go like we used to, but when I'd go, she always loves to go, and still does, to go antiquing, to go to the antique store, to go where used things are, old things are. I keep telling her, I'm the, listen, I'm old as you need. That's enough. She loved to go. Now, do I love to go antiquing? No. And that is not my favorite activity. But I enjoy going. You know why I enjoy going? I want to be with her. She has gone to football games with me. Do you think she loves sitting out there on a football game which she knows absolutely nothing about? No. But you know why she does? Because she loves me. And we go together. So if you love somebody, you're going to want to be with them. Doesn't mean you're always going to agree with each other. I mean, we have spats. You all do. If you've been married long enough, you have one. If you had not had a fight, you ought to have one. A whole lot more fun making up than it is getting mad. So just do it. But you do those things, and you love somebody because you want to be with them. Well, let me move on to the final thing. We've talked about the test of behavior, conflict, walk. You walk, automatic your talk. Conduct, brotherhood, test of love that'll be there. You love one another. What about the final? Here's the acid test, the test of belief, the test of faith. Notice what he says in 1 John 5 verse 10. First verse I read this morning says this. Whoever believes in the Son of God, that is Jesus, has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Well, he said, why? Well, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. This is the acid test. Now, let me tell you a little bit about me. I got, became a Christian, kind of got involved Sporadically, got married, kind of got settled down, decided, hey, I need to get my life together. Well, I, I just had a real 
desire to share my faith. But when I first started sharing my faith, I used to think, and I'm telling myself, I used to think, well, if that person doesn't pray, I mean kneel down to pray, pray out loud, pray this specific prayer, and I wonder if they're really saved. And I used to be that way. Boy, I mean, listen, hey, on your knees. I mean, we're, we're going to get right here and do it right. And maybe that's not always wrong, but I, I began to look at something. And I found a verse in the Bible, and it really kind of arrested my heart. Over in John chapter 6, verse 47, here's what it says. Listen, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes him or whoever believes has eternal life. <laughs> Who, wait a minute. No, it didn't say anything about praying a prayer. It didn't say anything about it. Thief on the cross didn't have time to kneel. He just said, basically, we know, remember when you get to paradise. He certainly rebuked the guy that was there. And I used to, I thought, I said, you know what, Lord, we're so bent on trying to make sure that we go through a certain formula, and that's okay, but the reality is, regardless of what my words are, regardless of how I do it, the reality is that you can be a Christian because you believe, and you have to believe. If you don't believe, you're not one. Listen. For the first long time, I thought, you know, can't witness to a drunk. He's, he's an inebriated. He can't witness to a drunk right there. I saw God put me to the test one day, and God sobered that boy up. Got him saved gloriously, sobered him up. I had to eat my words. So what do you do now? Well, doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not advocating alcohol in any sense, but just that. But here, listen, this is, forget what they did or forget what they did not do. Because it is just like all of these tests, it is present tense. Present tense. Not past tense, but present tense. Not future tense, but present tense. And you know, I know people sometimes say, you know, boy, here's, here's a gal that got saved when they were a child, and they got saved again when they had been a teenager, and here again they've been baptized three or four times. Listen, so what? The question is not, have I been saved? The question is, am I saved now, today? Can I put my finger on it right now? That's what he's saying, today. Do I know Jesus Christ is my Savior? Today, do I know that heaven's my home? Today, do I know my salvation is complete in him? All present tense. May not have been saved at nine. I don't know. The question is, now, do we say, by the way, we're so concerned that children don't know, but listen, they know what they know because they're at the age they are. And out of that age they come and they'll grow. We need to disciple them as they grow into that relationship. Are we saved now? Saving faith is what? Continuing faith. Saving faith is enduring faith. Let me give you a scripture. Just, just a couple pages to your left. Flip over to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to give you a minute. I want to reach you there to it. Colossians chapter 1, find verse 21. Colossians 1.21, got your Bible, pew Bible there, get it out. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, you want to read this. Now you know this, Jesus on the cross died for our sins and our sin. He didn't die just for the symptoms, sins. He died for the nature, the old nature that would be there. He died for that, that's on the cross. When he died on the cross, you and I died. If we're a Christian, we died on that cross. That's when we died with him. But what he's talking about is it is enduring faith, continuing faith. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Follow as I read verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, 
has now what reconciled in his body of flesh Jesus on the cross by his death why in order to present you present me holy and blameless and above reproach before him you know that's how you're going to be presented before him you say I don't know I'm that way now I'm not talking about now that's how we're going to be presented that's how he's going to present us to the father if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I Paul became a minister now it's enduring faith it doesn't mean we're not going to slip it doesn't mean we're not going to stumble it doesn't mean we're not going to deviate no 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 but it means what God's going to bring us back to where we need to be God's going to be there you say well man I lose my salvation no you can't it wasn't yours to start with how do you lose it I heard old Dr. Havner say one time he said man and I heard him preach at First Baptist Church Pelham Alabama he had just buried his sweet wife all those years never had any kids buried her precious lady and he said one guy came up to me and said oh Dr. Havner I'm so sorry that you've lost your wife he said she ain't lost I know where she is you don't lose somebody when you know where they are and he knew where she was you don't lose it folks you just never had it that's it they came no you never had it saving faith is enduring faith you never had it listen to me if all you had was an initial experience without an additional re, any additional results more than likely more than likely you really didn't receive real New Testament salvation something's got to happen don't pray a prayer I never forget Bible school one dear sweet teacher came down the aisle of invitation here she brought a bunch it was about seven or eight kids probably nine or ten he said I said well I said well, why are you coming why are the children coming she said well they're here they're ready to make their decision I said decision yeah yeah I told them they had to come decision well I asked them they weren't ready half of them didn't understand you see it involves a decision but the reality is what's your heart doing what's it saying I'm not saying that every Christian is going to live a perfect life that is absolutely not going to happen faith all the tests we've talked about the test of, of uh, behavior the test of brotherhood the test of belief they're all present tense there's always continuously acting something happened in their life considering myself what a lifetime member of Jesus Christ the results are him I trust him you trust him if you're a part of him today and the presence of that faith in my heart and your heart is what it's evidence of salvation now you say but I have if you have a doubt there may be a reason and I realize people come to the invitation I had people respond you come to the invitation time you say I still doubt I still doubt listen if you still doubt what do you do I would pray I'd ask Jesus to come into my life if you still have that doubt okay remember what I said about the right medicine for the right diagnosis the Lord diagnosed your medicine he's not you're not needing salvation what you're needing is what a new relationship with him sin in your life that needs to be confessed that may be what it is I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. you know exactly where your situation is but if you still have doubts 
Salvation is not your problem. Something else is your problem. Unconfessed sin is there. Let me close out, and I want to read 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. Here it is. And this is exactly where we need to be a part. He said, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Why? Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. That Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. Rose again according to the Scripture. Jesus Christ lives. He died. He lives again so that you and I may live eternally. But there is one condition. Do I know him personally? Do I know him in my life? Is he my Lord? Is he my Savior? Is he really mine? Am I his? Is he mine? You say, well, I, I don't know that I pray. Listen, don't worry about the kind of prayer you pray. Thief on the cross said, just remember me when I'm in paradise, when you get to paradise. Sometimes those prayers are not, not kind. I, it seems like I remember the prayer I prayed when I was 15. And I, I knelt in the altar of Epworth Methodist Church, never forget it, McClendon Avenue in Atlanta, Georgia in 1957. <clears throat> and I think I prayed a prayer something like it said, Lord, if I died right now, I'd go to hell. Because I don't know you as my personal Lord and Savior, but I want to. And right now, I want to give you my life. I prayed something like that. And never forget, my high school English teacher's husband put his hand on the back of my shoulder, scared me half to death, put his hand on the back of my shoulder and said, Rob, are you okay? I said, I am now. I am now. You say, well, what was the difference? You see, I read my Bible every night before I went to bed, prayed my prayer, and, you know, I'd pray a prayer something like this. God, forgive me all my sins. Bless Mama, bless Daddy, bless my dog, blah, blah, blah. Amen. But this night, something happened. I opened my Bible in Matthew, and I began to read, and all of a sudden, guess what? This began to speak to me. I thought, wow. What was the difference? The Holy Spirit moved into my life and began to start giving me some truth, and I started to learn some things. Then I went to pray like I normally would do, and you would think the same prayer. It wasn't, Lord, forgive me, necessarily. I did. But I began specifically to deal with some things, and God began to speak to my heart. And I felt for the first time one thing. One, I was reading a book that now meant something to me. It wasn't just a group of history. I believed in Jesus. I believed it was God's word was real. I believed he was virgin born. I believed all the right stuff. You'd ask me a question. I believed it all. But you see, the reality was I never had that personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Today, right now, as we close this service, that can be yours. And you may all, you may all, I hope and pray I see every single one of you in heaven one day. I hope I do. Not today, but one day. But may not be. Crowd this size, good chance, probably not. But I'm going to challenge your heart right now. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to have an invitation. And if we do that, while you're there, that pew where you sit is as much an altar as this altar is right here. You can right there pray. If you, you have doubts, ask him. Lord, I'm, I'm coming, I'm doubting, ask him. Lord, I need to be saved. And if that doubt is still there, You've got something else in your life. It's an unconfessed sin that needs to be dealt with. But if you're not a child of God today, a place to find it out. You can pray right there where you are in your words, Lord Jesus, 
I'm a sinner. And I know one thing, only you can save me. And right now, every sin I've ever committed, I want to confess to you. I want to invite you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. And when I die, I'm going to be in heaven with you one day. And I thank God for that. I pray, friend, that'll be you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these sweet people. What a privilege it is to be here and stand where Ryan stands and for him to faithfully trust me, Lord, to stand where he should stand and to be a part of what he is. And Lord, today, your truth. Lord, I know one thing. Your book is truth. Every word of it is truth. And Father, today, I want to bless you for the privilege of just preaching your truth today. And I want to pray for these precious people here today at Seneca Baptist Church. You know every single one of them, Lord. You know them better than I know them. You know their hearts. You know their life. You know their testimony. And Father, right now, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Touch every heart right now. And I pray there'll be no one trying to hide, no one trying to fake you out with some kind of word, but the reality is, Lord, they'll be honest with you today. And I pray this because you, Lord, are the keeper of our souls. My friend, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The invitation basically is this. If you need Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord right now, would you ask him to come into your life and save you, confess your sins to him? I believe he's a man of his word. He'll honor that. But you're already a Christian. Maybe you need to be baptized. I don't know. Maybe you've been praying about joining this fellowship. You need to be a part of this church. I don't know. You know what you need to do. Whatever it is, God's speaking to your heart. This altar is open. I'm here to pray with you. Whatever you need to do, you follow him today. Just obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's all that matters. Now, Father, we commit this time to you. We ask you to have clarity in this invitation. Do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. What's our invitation, brother?